Hello everyone, this is Serious and Sober and I'm Ray Lockdust. With us today, we're going to be having Van Corved. I always hold the O differently every time I say it and I'm sure it's, it is a way. But here is my staple sign that I forgot to show the last show and I was upset, but I spend time putting these letters on and it just sits in the background. <laughs> Hi, my name is Ray. I'm really good at stalling for time. So today, Van Corbett, Van Corbett. Sorry, I um, I, um, I was in an improv show a little a few weeks ago where they asked who one of my best friends was, and I said Van Corbett, and they made. They were very inaccurate towards the representation of Van Corvid to a point where um, they pulled a keyboard, not a violin, over their head and just kept yelling their name. And so now every time I talk about just even Sharon, my girlfriend will go, Van Corvid here, and hold an invisible keyboard over her head. And it is just as hilarious as you think it is. <laughs> um, that being said, we're going to be talking about the very serious subject of mental health today. I don't know if anyone noticed, but we are starting a few minutes behind, and that's because I had a little bit of a mental health thing happen, so I'm going to talk about it because that's a real thing that happened. That's why my wig doesn't look as nice as it usually does. I'm calling it. It's not me. <laughs> it's me because mental health is a part of who I am, and even though it doesn't completely define my personality, it's still an important thing. And I was having an issue, I'm not gonna go into the details of what it was, but I was having a concern that I felt I wasn't worth, that wasn't worth having, it wasn't important enough for me to talk about. It didn't make sense. And I just bottled it up for weeks until eventually I got so upset that I had to say something and I did. And it was just like kind of fixed very quickly and it turned it like it was just, it was a mountain out of a molehill that communication saved because communication is key, it's magic. And um, just a, a, a helpful line that was said to me during my moment of distress was that like the distress doesn't have to make sense for it to be a need because it was a very real need that I had, but because it didn't feel important to me, I was trying to brush it off. And that's not something fair to do to myself or the partner who has um, to then <laughs> um, react accordingly. And I'm, I'm just like so fortunate and grateful that I have a partner who is just like on top of her shit when it comes to inspiring quotes. <laughs> um, now I'm gonna stop talking about myself because I am here to talk to Van Corvid um, and Sharon Courtney, um, both are one and the same. I, I'm not good at this. <laughs> Hi. Hello. <laughs> it's real confident when I say I'm not good at this as I, on live um, stream. Anyway. Hi, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? Oh my gosh, I'm doing so much better than I was approximately 40 minutes ago. <laughs> yep. Yep. But I really I was just practicing. I was just, I was getting inspiration for the discussion today. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I find the, the worst thing before a show is to actually do the thing that you're planning to do. So one thing that actually started to, to help 
me at least, is uh, the something I, I heard about from Duke Ellington, which is before a show, he never played any of his pieces, but he would play scales for hours. And once I went to a dentist and they had to fit a mold and it was scary and it was like, oh. And the dental technician was like, you're a musician, right? And I'm like, yeah. And she was like, yeah, go through scales in your mind. And I was like, okay. And it, and it just totally took me out of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Sometimes the best kind of grounding is just a simple distraction just to refocus you. It's like a reset. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Scales are good though, because then by the time you've you've hit like halfway through, you're like, okay, I have to I have to breathe to to sing this and to even if I'm not hitting the notes, it doesn't matter. All I'm doing is going through the notes, and there's no ambiguity about it. It's just one note after the next. You know where it's supposed to go. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. I love that. I always love like even though I'm not um, I'm not a musician, but I am a Music appreciator, I guess. You are a musician. Oh my gosh, I can do one scale. Two scales now, actually. There you go. <laughs> You're a musician. Okay, well, like, I would, I would say that, like, my level of musician brain is probably different than your level of musician brain is all I mean. Like, like it's just like, like, cause like I wouldn't think to do a scale as a great grounding technique, but now that I'm thinking about my comfort with a scale, it makes perfect sense. Yay. But it's not something that, like, I guess, I guess what I mean by saying I'm not a musician is people definitely don't think musician when they hear Ray Lockdust first. That's, that's what, I, that's kind of what I meant by I'm not a musician, even though I do, um, I've been adding to my bio that I don't play the violin because now I can talk about it. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. And I mean, it's, it's also the fact that, like, you do so many things. It's a case of, like, how do I present myself? Uh, pick one. Yeah, it's, um, I am aware of many hats, but don't worry, I look great in hats. <laughs> I, I, I have an unfortunate attachment to hats, and that's one reason why most people will never see my uh, early years photos. Okay, but I'm not most people, right? Okay, I'll show you a few. Not, not on the podcast, but there was there, there may have been a furry white flat cap at one point. I'm not proud. Furry white flat cap. Okay. I hate, okay. Um, I don't, I love the sound of that. And I hate that you're making fun of it because I'm just like, that sounds lovely. And I can see why you would rock that. Thank you. It, it, it was lovely. Just, you know, with what I chose to pair, what I chose to pair it with was a bad call, which okay. was a, uh, I think combat pants and like a little black lacy top and just no, no. Okay, I, yeah, that's not the um, accompaniment I was imagining. I was... <laughs> it, it could have been lovely, but I had absolutely, uh, I had a very uh, <clears throat> disjointed sense of style. A very disjointed sense of style, I love that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I have had, I've had my style described as, um, oh God, I had too many words top, pop into my head that I forgot what word I originally selected. I've had so many different descriptions of my fashion sense, which is just like, I've had some people say like, oh, well, I can tell that you're trying. <laughs> and you know what, in makeup school, one of the biggest things they said is do stuff with intention. That way, even if it works, you did it on purpose. True. And I love that. And that also, is my fashion sense is great. I'm hot. Yes, 
Yes, more. And I love hot when I say that. I don't care. I mean, I feel like that whole yeah. sense of false modesty is kind of icky to me. Yeah. Um, and I also think that everyone is hot. I think the thing that makes people hotter is grooming and styling and training and such. But like, mm-hmm. everyone's hot. Everyone's got something. Yeah, everyone has their own sense of beauty, which is why, like, when someone uh, um, says, like, like, oh, I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm any kind of negative, <laughs> I just, it's just, most of the time, to you, I, like, or, or to me, they're beautiful, because, like, I have, I have the special ability to see the beauty in everything, and you know what, I don't think that's that uncommon. I think that everything is capable of being beautiful and some people notice it more than others, but I think that's just a matter of patience, not ability. For sure. I mean, I, I have, I have crazy brain weasels about my own appearance. Um, like I, I have a lot of hangups about body image. So definitely it's, it's something like I, I want to be able to apply the things I say to other people to myself, but it's a hard one. Yeah. Like, I I can relate to that very well. I give great advice, but I'm also a hot mess. That's That, that was in Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> I, am, I give very good advice, but I seldom take it. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm just naturally the, oh gosh, who is it that says it? It's not the Mad Hatter. It's the, is it the hair? No, I'm the wrong queen. Yeah. That says giving good advice, but never takes it? I'm just wrong. I'm No, yeah. it was Alice. It is Alice? It's Alice. I said to Alice. Oh my gosh, I am a fool. But then again, I'm not active in the Alice in Wonderland fandom, so I have no obligation to know it well. That's yeah, and also I find it hilarious that it was a thinly veiled satire on English politics at the time. And no one ever really seems to bring that up. So, you yeah. know, there's that. Yeah, I I always love Alice in Wonderland. One of my favorite porn parodies is the one from the seventies. I've seen it. You were the one that sent it to me. <laughs> you told me that. I, and then I watched it with my now roommate. And yeah, oh my gosh, I love porn parodies so much. But you know what we need to do, Sharon? What? We need to talk about who you are and why we're here and do the show because we shouldn't be just catching up for ten minutes as amazing as we are. I just like got so distracted because oh my gosh, it's been too long. But how dare us! Like, like you've been busy doing this amazing thing that you're going to talk about in about five questions. So um, I think that I forgive you. <laughs> not that I, it's something that I have to forgive. I'm not going to overexplain that joke. Anyway, <laughs> so. Today, we are here to talk about being creatives with mental illness. We are going to talk about our own coping mechanisms and how we manage our pain and our different emotions. We're going to talk about where pain and art coincide and a bunch of other things that you will see when we get there because I don't ha- I'm not going to explain every question because that's a no point. Um, I'm going to take a moment and sit and just be like, sorry for the frazzle, but I did have an emotion. So anyway, so we are going to, um, we have both 
Sharon Courtney and Vancouver here in because um, they're, they're a bit of a two-in-one. So in order to get as much information as we can, we are going to be going down my mighty list of 13 plus four questions. And, and we are going to be flipping this talisman with talisman for each question. This side is to represent Van Corbett. And this side is for Sharon. I, show, I chose this one because it was more complex and not that there isn't a lot to Van Corvid, I'm gonna say that there's even more to Sharon. <laughs> also, uh, I don't know if you wanted to make this a little bit spookier with some music, but... Yes. I just wanted to just on that. Absolutely, that is, um, we'll, blame the, we'll blame the emotion on me forgetting that because I honestly, I downloaded a thing on my computer to make sure I was able to do that. <laughs> no, no, I just, I just wanted to, to ping it because I can load it on my side either. Thank you, thank you so much. And I'm just, yeah, I sometimes I need um, to be. <laughs> me too, me too. Except if someone is to actually come up on stage and grab me or touch me, it, it's really not a good scene. <laughs> that happened. <Yeah>. Oh, <laughs> yeah, um, it was really bad. I was, uh, I was playing this fashion show for a designer back in Dublin and um, they were like, oh yeah, we'll give you the cue when you know you need to stop playing or whatever. And I'm like, cool. So they gave me a cue and I'm like, cool, I'm just gonna finish this piece. And the designer's husband came up and took my elbow mid piece. Was no bueno, was a little bit upset, but uh, nobody died. So um, let's move on though. <laughs> yeah, um, oh gosh. Um... Okay, the program uh, just proved itself to be more complicated than I thought it was. Oh gosh, oh gosh, okay. okay I've got it here either. If you have a different way to do this, please, because mine was like open this program and then open the file and then play it and then it would open up its own thing and it, you have control with all of these mixers and I have no experience in that, so it was intimidating to me. It's I'm all good. These are, these are tracks that basically, um, kind of did in the last two months, really, but realistically, it kind of was in the last two weeks. Wow. So, yeah, that was that was fun, mm -hmm. um, but they're spoopy. Uh, so yeah, mine, mine is downloading as a zip file, but I can always just start playing things quietly in the background also. So, you know, there is that too. Um, but yes, it's, let's just open one and see what happens. I wonder if I can turn this down a little bit so that I'm not. Okay, we good. We good? Okay. Better? Is that too loud? I can't hear it. Oh, really? I have it down lower. Okay. Yeah? Yeah, I think that's good because it's there for ambiance but not distraction. <laughs> All right. All right. So, with a flip of my coin, we're going to ask our first question. I'm like nervous I'm gonna drop it, even though I'm, I was honestly practicing a lot today. All right. What is it? Ah. Van Corvid. Van Corvid. Who is Van Corvid? Van Corvid's a messenger. And Corvid is here to 
tell you things that you need to know. And Van Corbett is a devotee of an entity known as the Morrigan and a siren for their calls. Van Corbett's there to give people strength. That's who Van Corbett is. Thank you. All right. Oh, Van Corbett. <laughs> who is Sharon Courtney? Interesting. Uh, Sharon Courtney is someone who is an artist and an immigrant and is someone who has lived a lot of different lives up until now. And up until Van Corvid came about, was pretty lost. Um, they're a person with a family, um, with friends, with people. Um, they have it like, I suppose they're all of the seeds, if that makes sense. It does. Because I don't, I don't ever intend to produce work under my name, Sharon Courtney. I will always be choosing something else, but they will all still stem from there. Yeah, that um, as someone who also uses an alias, I can resonate with that. Yeah. yeah. It's like the furnace, I suppose, because you were asking me before where Van Corvid lives, mm -hmm. if, you know, it's the, the head or the tail. And I was thinking about it because I was, you know, the head is where everything is for me. Even if I store that elsewhere. Yeah. All right. Okay. Sharon. Yes. Can you talk about your connection to crows and to Morgan? Oh, well, so Basically, what happened back in the day was I was touring with this band and around Europe and I set up a blog that I thought, you know, I don't want to put my name to it, but I want people to know it's me. So I set up, so people who know me well call me Shaz uh, sometimes, and I put up Shaz Van Corset because I was in a van and I had to wear corsets. So uh, I ended up changing it to Van Corvet, Shaz Van Corvet, and I didn't really think about it too much, but I always like crows and they're smart and they're hilarious a lot of the time because they don't they don't care they're they're out to have fun yeah. and the more i started learning about them the more it began to resonate and the more i learned about morrigan and and you know connected with my spiritual mentor about that and it just became more and more true over time it was almost like a fluke that i picked it because i hadn't done any research it just began to, to make more and more sense and now it's at the point where if my mum back in ireland is out walking the dog and she's off lead she runs after crows and then the crows will fly up and then fly back down to play with her and fly back up again oh. and my mum's like it's sharon she's here to play that's precious. and I, I think the reason i love crows so much is because even though they have intelligence, they are able to play. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is such a difficult thing to balance. 
Do you think that their intelligence uh, like affects their way of play? Absolutely. Yeah, because what crows will do is they will tell their families anything. So the reason that there aren't any crows in Toronto is because of West Nile disease, which wiped out all of the general passerines. Jays return, but crows don't because they'll tell their families this place isn't safe. Uh-huh. So a lot of my work was was kind of calling that in. But then as it was funny, actually, because when I dropped that music video for someone in like a couple of weeks ago, it was I was nearly not going to do it. Mm-hmm. But uh, weird thing, uh, I was in my kitchen beside a window and I heard this loud call and I saw two crows fly past my window. And I was like, OK, I got to post it. <laughs> I'm so glad they were there for you. That's amazing. It was pretty fun. Um, And honestly, like, it was, I'm just opening the rest of this music, but it was was just kind of a weird thing that they seem to show up at moments that I'm struggling or having difficulty. Like, you know, my mentor does that too. Like, there have been times when they've reached out to me and just apropos of nothing, just like, hey, just got to nudge about you. And it's, it's, sometimes it gets spooky, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, it's amazing to have that kind of connection. Like I've had, um, I've had similar experiences with foxes showing themselves um, at prominent times in my life. Which, really? Yeah, have I, I guess, have I not shared with you my love of foxes? No, but did you know that they're just everywhere in Ireland? No. Yeah, they're like, they're, 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 they're as common as raccoons are in Toronto. Let's go. <laughs> oh. but, but yeah, they, I love them. Um, yeah, and, and like I also feel the connection to the moon. But um, that's something for me to explore. <laughs> All right. Um, All right, Sharon. This has been literal 50-50. It has. <laughs> All right. Does the connection to Morrigan vary between Sharon and Ben Corbett? Oh, gosh. Shoot, that's a really good question. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Absolutely, it does. Because Van Corvid, as you kind of noticed, is a lot less cluttered mm-hmm. than Sharon. Because Sharon has all of the concerns like, you know, day-to-day work, food, laundry, sleep, um, whatever else you're having. Whereas by the time when I move into Van Corvid, nothing else matters. So connection there is a much easier thing to to manifest. Whereas in daily life, making space for that connection takes conscious work. Yeah. Cool. All right. um, this next question, I'm just going to have Sharon answer. Okay. All right, Sharon. Um, tell me about Penrose. Ah, Penrose is a video game. It's my first video game soundtrack I've ever done, and that's what the music is. So it's a non-linear narrative. Um, if you've ever played a choose-your-own-adventure book, where you can like just hit a thing, and if you change a decision or something, it it changes the whole story. So I met Michael Townsend, who's the designer for Double Speed Games. A while back, I ended up playing a show called Love Me Not, 
where I was performing while being bound inside a giant pentacle lit by fire, as one does. And over time we were we were chatting and it, it kind of I was I play tested his game and I was like, this is this is pretty interesting, but like I don't often have an, a clear idea of which character I'm in, because the idea is that you flip between character perspectives. And so I was like, if it was me, I'd put together like a theme for each character. And he said, you want to. So cue about a month of uh, me just brainstorming a lot, like a lot, a lot, and, and really probably getting a little bit overwrought about it because there's a pretty rich scene of reference that you can work with. So Roger Penrose is a mathematician. He's still alive does some really interesting work on consciousness. You know that funky triangle you look at that looks like it shouldn't exist? It's like a weird 3D thing. It looks like it's got the shadows all along. Um, anyway, it's a Penrose triangle. Um, he, he's a fascinating individual. Actually, I do recommend watching some of his lectures because he's just a charming individual. Um, and so then I, I started writing these themes based on the people. So what's playing right now is the second character that appears called Catherine Penrose. And I kind of set it up so that each character has their own key and the keys are mapped to a scale. Um, the scale, the character whose scale it is becomes pretty evident if you actually really, really, really nerd out about music. And there's a lot of mathematical references in there as well. But what I was really happy about with this was it, everything you hear is violin, everything. There's no other instrument. Um, all I did was a bunch of production and pedals and loops and kind of stuff like that. So yeah, I'm very, very excited about it. Um, it's, it's definitely, I'm hoping it gets more attention um, I am horrifically bad at promotion, as as you know, um, because I, I posted about this like half an hour before we're actually doing this, but yeah. So yeah, it took a lot of cherries and peaches and clementines because apparently I'm, I'm just a, a feral beast when I'm writing music. <laughs> I, you know, um, but yeah, no, it was uh, it was an interesting time. Yeah, um, where can you get Penrose? I'm so glad you asked. Um, so it's free. Uh, the first part is free on web, so penrose.doublespeakgames.com, but it is also on um, iOS and Android as well. So if anyone really wants a code for the game, you know, they should maybe reach out to me and I will send one over if you're feeling fancy. But it is also a dollar on the App Store. So like, uh, you know, it should, it's, it's not going to break the bank, but it's, it's a fun one. Um, so yeah, we've, we've definitely had some interesting feedback in the first little while. Uh, so we, the funniest one was a, a YouTube video we saw where the person was just like, their whole thing was they unwrap apps, right? And they opened it up and they were clearly trying to just like hammer through it. And they, and we ended up playing it at double speed because it was just long, long gaps of silence um, where, because they turned the music off. And then they were just like, this is a lot of text. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. And so like, that was, that was the entire thing. And they were like, yeah, I'm gonna have to do another video about this. Cause like, <laughs> so it, it is, it is a interesting one because like, one thing about Double Speak games, uh, any of the previous games, they don't come with tutorials. 
Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, you kind of have to figure it out on the way, which some people love and some people don't always love, but you know, yeah. <laughs> hopefully people like the challenge. Yeah, I don't know if the tutorial is when it is there, so. <laughs> I mean, really, realistically, like it's a book. It's a book that you can manipulate. And, yeah. you know, I think the fun thing about it is as well as like mechanics wise, you, you start out thinking like, oh, okay, I'll make this easy for them or I'll do something nice or whatever. And then you realize that like, sometimes the, the decisions you have to make are kind of awful. Like you, you have to do things to certain characters, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Give away any more than that because obviously. I'm so excited to play it. I, I had to send my phone away for repair. So literally the day it came out, I downloaded it and then did a factory reset on my phone and sent it away. Welcome. Here to support. <laughs> Honestly, it's a good thing because um, in the first week we actually did get some good feedback. So we released it a new version with more tweaks. So like actually that's a good thing. All right. I um, that was the best. So now this is more accessible. So it's uh font size can change, uh music's not as loud, there's a few other bits and pieces, but like mechanics wise it's a bit better. Awesome. I'm more excited now. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. I have my phone back. So I actually had a moment earlier today because uh, most of the time when I play games, I play them without sound because I just um, sometimes don't like to draw attention to me. Because so I was I, so I had a moment of I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna start playing. And then as soon as I like laid down, got comfortable, opened it, and went, I'm in a really weird mind place. Maybe I should just play the ball game. <laughs> that's fair <laughs> yeah it's it's honestly like it's it's something that i it's a little different to your you know a lot of apps where you might open it and like play it for like a few minutes while you're you know sitting in one place no comment uh this is more of a a book like mm -hmm. a book that you would kind of just like grab a chair grab a cup of tea sit down go through it like i've seen people blast through it mm -hmm. um and then others will kind of take their time on it but like the thing is that the more decisions you take the more you start to see how all of it will unfold so sometimes you'll like you can also see all the pathways that you've taken in it which i think is really cool i'm i'm really excited this sounds like honestly um <laughs> no promo but <laughs> this sounds so cool and i'm so excited to play and the more i <laughs> learn about it <laughs> the more excited i am and i like i, I say no promo because i, I love no promo i think that's amazing it's, it's like, i mean i i do i do kind of like poking fun at that initial no homo thing like i'll just be like can i borrow this no klepto you know or <laughs> i love your dog no bisto <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah so so this was this, it was interesting like each character has their own kind of thing going on um so you know the, the first two are the kids and they're generally kind of angsty so they're both in minor keys and stuff like that and then other characters you know you've got um you've got your different major ones and then there's ones who really started all the problems and uh you know, not so much. But what I find hilarious is that every person who's gone through these has a different favorite. So, 
like um, this one here that's playing is Martin Bow's favorite one, which is uh, he's the one who mastered it, and he is an absolute hero because basically I was so short for time that I reached out and I was like, hey, so these are ready to master, but we're gonna release on September first. That was the Monday before, <laughs> and I was just kind of like. Um, Mm -hmm. I realized I may have dropped the ball here. Uh, so he was, but he was an absolute pro. He was just like, yeah. I mean, cleared his schedule, had it done. We got everything in before Friday, went before the Tuesday, because the thing is the app store takes a few days to vet things. Android will not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so that was a, a whole thing. But anyway, this is Martin's favorite one. And it's, it's the director track. Mm -hmm. um, just because, because he likes it spooky. Likes it spooky. But yeah, I uh, I just performed all of this out in a field uh, in front of a giant wooden question mark that we then burned. <laughs> I guess you had some burning questions. Yeah, it was a, it was a amazing piece of art by this artist and friend of mine called Ksenia Ivanova. She's amazing. Uh, she basically made this effigy to be burned so that people could talk about their doubts and their fears and everything for 2020. So what she did was her and Michael worked out that they created a question box. So you put in questions. Michael set it up so that those questions got projected on the question mark before it burned. So everyone got to see all the different questions that people had. And they really ranged. Like, I put in a joke one, but some people were like, will I ever be able to, you know, recover from this or, you know, all kinds of stuff. Like, and it was really cathartic to watch that burn. Like just watch your dad's burn. Yeah. That sounds absolutely beautiful. Like I've done um, like, like burning spells for just like small instances. So I love a good group burning. I don't think, is that something which you should say? No, 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 no there's, there's a time for burning. There's absolutely a time for burning. Yeah. Um, and also we are, we are going into the burning times. Yeah, I elaborate on that. So from a farming perspective, you would burn the fields um, after harvest because you are basically just kind of purifying it. And it also is the time when the I suppose the late season fires begin. It's getting cold. But in that time, you're burning away the old and leaving room for the new. And that is what this season we're going into is about. So that's why we have the, the Halloween fires, the Tineknov, which is a bonfire. Incidentally, bonfire is actually Tineknov bone fire. Hmm. Um, so with that, uh, because Halloween originated in Ireland, and All Hallows' Eve was the time when people could speak to the departed spirits, among other things. And then the day after that was known as All Souls. So with that, with us going into these burning times, and I mean, as well for me, it's personal because around late October is usually when I set things on fire. Uh, but it's a good time to clear out because I always think that spring cleaning is too late. Mm -hmm. by the time spring rolls around it's you still have all the dregs of the last year it's kind of it's it's too late you need to do it before spring so that you start fresh
anyway, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Okay. okay. All right, so um, those were all of my prerequisite questions, and now Excellent. we have the actual 13 questions. Excellent. So we're actually on 18 questions. <laughs> all right. You know what? No, never mind. <laughs> well, well, uh, um, I just noticed there are only 12 for the note. That's okay. Okay. Like, honestly, like, this is your show. You can dictate the format. I know. I'm in charge. It's great. And um, a lot of them, like, number one is a three-part question, so buckle up. I, right. I, like, basically, I had so much I wanted to talk about that I wasn't able to get it into 13 questions, so I categorized some of them. So, um, let's go. All right. All right, Sharon. Been a Sharon heavy couple of moments, and I'm okay with that. I'm not complaining. Okay. But um, what message do you express through your art? The message is that you have a lot more resilience than you may think. And how would you describe your creation process? Uh, okay, so basically I set myself an unrealistic deadline. And uh, that's the start. Uh, I do a bunch of research. Uh, so usually when I'm getting into a topic, I, I sort of dig into it in a huge way. Uh, research is kind of my background. Mm -hmm. And then I usually lock myself away for a while and try to not talk to people. Uh, I eat a bunch of fruit and I drink a ton of coffee, and I take breaks to work out uh, because that keeps me sane. And then I usually just kind of sit there until it's done. Uh, with a lot of, with this project, it was a lot of, it was a very fast learning curve. So by the end, I was much faster at putting things together. Oh. So for me, I usually pick some kind of sequencing underneath all of it. So even if it sounds kind of chaotic, it's it's not. Um, there might be a number underpinning something. There might be a sonata form I'm trying to emulate or something like that, but it really varies. And it also varies depending on if it's my personal work, project work, or work for somebody else. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, a lot of sugar. I need a lot of sugar and caffeine. Mm -hmm. um, and I generally need to be left alone by most people. Um, which is which is why I kind of went underground. But mm -hmm. it's kind of a terrible thing to say. But the pandemic has kind of been pretty great for me, work-wise, and I feel terrible about that because it's been so terrible to so many people. Yeah, I honestly, a lot of creatives have been saying that. Like that is not something that you're alone in, and I don't think it's something that you're selfish in having experienced. Because um, I, I feel like. The, like for both of us, like I felt like a lot of the time leading up the, to the pandemic was, I don't know, I felt like both of us were in situations where we were running towards a cliff hoping we'd figure it out by, before we got there. And I feel like the pandemic made us stop and find a different route. Mm. And I think that's why both of us are doing a lot better than we were several months ago 
because we were forced to stop. And that is not a good point to get to have been in, but I do think that we have both learned from it. Yeah, absolutely. And like the other thing as well is just, you know, I realized that for me at least, um, I have pretty major social anxiety. So even seeing people that I love and trust and care about and who wouldn't actually care if I showed up a little bit disheveled or whatever, I still have major anxiety seeing people and I find it very, very exhausting. Um, so in order to get the work that I want to get done, it generally means I have to withdraw quite a lot. Yeah. Which sucks. Um, and I and I feel bad about it because I'm like, I, I swear it's, you know, love you to death, but I need to do this. Yeah. And honestly, through this process, while like, I'll be honest, I always prefer having more sharing time. That is my general preference. I didn't take it personally that you were just like, hey, I'm doing something else with my life and can't dedicate 100% of my attention to you because I um, I'm not the center of everyone's world for some reason. And honestly, I did have a moment where I was kind of like, like, oh no, less Sharon. And like, I was upset and that is a completely valid thing to felt, but I wasn't angry or upset at you at all. It was just like, a, you know, in a perfect world, you could do both, but in a logical world, I understand. And I'm grateful because I know that there are like, there are past versions of myself that wouldn't have been understanding. Mm -hmm. so. I, I really appreciate that and like yeah that's the thing as well like in order to make music right now I don't think I have enough like because I'm I mean partially because it's such a learning curve for me oftentimes there isn't enough bandwidth to maintain daily routine and also do this so yeah um other thing about while I'm working is I become basically a, a troll <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm a fruit-eating troll um, who paces around a lot and, uh, you know, generally when people talk to me, I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm thinking about the number 19. And then they look at me and I'm like, I don't want to get into it. And then I leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's you know, I, I was living with roommates up until recently, so I, I feel more bad for them. Oh. Um, but I did, you know, I tried to not be loud after hours, but I can't, like, because what recording sounds like to people, like, you know, the music that's playing, it sounds like, ooh, you know, there's all this stuff going on, but reality of recording is I will probably be there for half an hour playing a note, one note, and each time I'll be like, mm. and then usually what I'll do with that is I'll start to sequence it and build on that, but a lot of the time it sounds incredibly dull. So... Yeah. And it was it was funny because when I moved in, they were like, "Oh, it'll be nice to hear violin," and I was just like, "Mm-hmm." What did you think? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's not it's not probably going to be as nice as you might expect. Yeah, I um, the when I start when I took up violin, I think the house was divided. <laughs> it is. It's it's a it's look. There's a rule, and this is one that I think is a pretty solid rule, which is. If you sound good, you are not practicing. Because mm. yeah, practicing shouldn't sound good. That's performing. I like that so much because oh, that's such a good point. Oh my goodness. It's one of those things. It's so obvious now that you say it in words. Mm -hmm. 
it took me a while. Like, I only realized that a while back. I was just like, I'm getting sent to you. But I was like, yeah, this is the time you're supposed to. You're, you're learning and you're, oh my goodness, I had a conversation like that with someone else about their writing the other day. Like I can, I can dish it, but I can't take it apparently because I was just like, 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 like sometimes when it, like you just have to suck, you have to learn how to suck because through sucking, you learn what feels right to you and that's how you find your own voice. <laughs> and I'm now and looking back and I'm like, wow, if only I could do that. Because like I don't let myself suck. I like I have been. There is a reason why I'm still using some of the same jokes from three years ago because I trust them. They're my safety nets, and I don't take as many risks. Like like now I've like I've been I have been, but I will admit that I have definitely not taken as many risks as I could have. And that may have stunted my growth, but also I've only been doing stand-up regularly for a year, so it's not too late. <laughs> it's not too late. And it's, it's never too late, to be fair. <laughs> and also, I mean, I think that it's it's an unfair expectation on yourself to expect constant linear growth. Yeah. Because I think what really happens is you you learn a little bit, you plateau. You maybe learn a little bit, you plateau. And it may be the case that you go down and then go up again. It happens, you know, but there's no, I don't think there's anyone I've ever met who had just like a flawless progression from start to finish that didn't at one point probably lose their mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there was, when I was taking improv, I had a moment where I was feeling um, like I wasn't like the other improvisers. And I felt like I um, I wasn't progressing because I felt like a lot of people do a lot of um, it's like like similar boxes of like like okay these kinds of improvisers work good together and they do that and I felt like I had no I had no box <laughs> and um, would you could you eat the box? Sorry, <laughs> could you eat the box? I was thinking of Hannah Gadsby in the box. Absolutely. The, yeah. <laughs> oh, everyone watch Douglas. Um, Sharon and I saw it live. It is amazing. I actually, I was talking to someone this weekend. I met someone called Douglas and I explained the pouch of Douglas and I explained the entire thing and, and they were, they were interested. Uh, yeah. I didn't do the gesture though. I probably that's should awesome. have. Yeah. That's, that's more poof. <laughs> it's it's more I mean I, I think we basically got into a discussion about how scientists often just find a thing and they're like I'm going to name it after me it doesn't matter that it's inside someone who you know I'm never going to be I'm going to put my name on it mm -hmm. <laughs> I found nothing inside this woman I like it <laughs> that's a that's a line in Hamlet that's a fair thought to lie uh, or she, it said something asked Ophelia something and she said nothing and Hamlet said, that's a fair thought to lie between a maiden's legs. And she, he said, she said, what? And he's like, nothing. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Uh, made some sex jokes. Well, made sex jokes and we love him for it. But we do have two. Yes. Flip Rooney, because we're on question number two. Just kidding. This is a, not a toony. I'm a professional for me You're so professional. All right. <laughs> and COVID. 
Why do you think art and pain are so connected? Because there's no song without suffering. How do because, you oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you continue. Because I have never known a person with an entirely charmed life create art that was meaningful to anybody else. Because I think that pain is how we connect with other humans. How do you think a creator's mental state defines their art? Good question. I think the mental state can define their art in terms of, so first off, I think that an artist cannot be in a completely devastated mental state because then they will not produce art at all. Um, I think an artist needs to have doesn't need to have, but I think a lot of artists have experienced pain and they use this as a vehicle for expressing it, processing it. Um, and almost a lot of the time when I'm working out what I feel is painful, what I'm doing is not so that I feel better, although that's kind of a nice side effect. It's more so that I feel like I can hopefully make people feel less alone because I figure I, if I have this, probably other people do too. It's beautiful. Thanks. All right, um, and Corbin. All right. What does pain mean to you? Mm -hmm. Pain is a catalyst. Pain will crystallize your vision. So for me, pain has been the result of, it, it, it has resulted in a greater clarity. And oftentimes I find pain is uh, a signal. So I don't relish or enjoy feeling pain. I don't actively seek it out. But I also know that pain is partially why Van Corbett came about. Yeah. All right, Sharon. How does your mental health impact your creation process? Good question. Um, mental health impacts my creative process in a couple of ways. Uh, one is that what I've learned over the years and how I've coped with mental illness, which for a long time I didn't get any kind of treatment for, has meant that my worldview is definitely shaped by that. But the thing is that when my mental health dips too low, it impacts my creative work in that I cannot create anything. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of a sweet spot really where most art I think is created in recovery and as recovery. Yeah. That being said, Van mm -hmm. Corbett. Wow. Quine wants to talk to me, huh? Mm -hmm. Because you did somewhat start on this, and I'm excited to expand. Do you think someone can create without pain? Hmm. 
I think they can. I'm not saying that everyone needs to go through some kind of arbitrary initiation of pain to be an artist. I, I'm not saying that at all. I think that would be deeply unhealthy as an idea. And I think that the idea of a tortured artist is a very pervasive. That being said, a lot of the time, the art that has stuck with me and resonated with me is from artists who have endured suffering and pain. And it also makes me think of the Buddha, um, who was a prince. And he was sick of this charmed life where everything was perfect and everything was wonderful for him. And so he got rid of everything and he went and sat under a tree for 40 days and suffered. And in that suffering, he wrote the first teachings of the Buddha. But up until that point, he had nothing to impart because he had learned nothing. Because mm -hmm. pain and failure are the best teachers. Yeah, it's like the idea of learning through your own experiences instead of just through a lecture. Precisely. Do you think that um, the idea of an empty artist means anything? And do you think that empty art can be created? Do you think that, um, I'm going to rephrase this. Okay. Let's say I, I will use makeup as an example. I am a makeup artist. When I do makeup, it is a form of art as it is an expression. I use it to expand things in someone's beauty. But when I'm given a specific look, particularly say I am um, a real story, I'm doing, I'm, I'm hired to do a look that I know does not work with a model. This, those colors, this style, etc., whatever. And I, and I say, I can do a different version of this that will work better. And I am rejected in that idea and I have to do it exact. They're happy, I leave, but I'm not satisfied in what I did. So I don't consider that a performance of my art, but more so a performance of my job. Yes. So I guess it's like, can you call yourself a successful artist if you're doing, as I just said, empty art? Because I don't want to say that like doing commissions or things for other people don't count. I guess it depends what you're putting into what you're making. So that's a really good question. And I, and I do think about that as well. Because there are times when I will play shows that I'm paid to do. I don't particularly connect with the music or anything. But I'm also aware that this is something that brings people joy. Mm -hmm. And I think that... I want to say that, yes, in a perfect world, we would all create art that we 100% stand behind and we value and we're proud of. And that is a little bit in conflict with the reality of living in a capitalist society. And realistically, yeah, there are going to be times when we, you know, use our creative skills and our art to make things that we may not like or may not be proud of and we may not consider it art in itself. That person might. But realistically, I don't think it makes you less of an artist to do work that you are paid for and you may not be super happy. Mm -hmm. I think, oh, thank you, Wes. Sorry, I didn't yeah. interrupt you with that. No, 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 that's great. But that's the thing. It's like, I think for art and with that, I think you... I think there does need to be 
a degree of pragmatism with work. And, and I think that as well, art is work. It is, it always is. And no work is wasted. So even though, to take your example, that particular look was something that based on your knowledge and expertise was not appropriate, you, I imagine, still took something away from that. Yeah, it was a it was a learning lesson. It was oh gosh, was that practice? <laughs> and that's the thing because the thing is that you know it's it's like that whole line. Um, there's a bakery in San Francisco where they wash the floors with the old milk uh, that you know was in there the day before. Like there's a lot of practice where the failures or the remainders of the previous work go into the next one. It's like Kit Kats. You know Kit Kats? How they're made? Yeah. So you know that every Kit Kat, the filling of a Kit Kat is actually made up of all the broken and uh, irregular Kit Kats. So there's nothing wasted. So I think Kit Kats are one of the most redemptive things in concept, but they're also Nestle, so I'm not going to eat them. But it's a cool <laughs> concept. But what I'm saying is that like, I don't I don't necessarily think that all of the work an artist produces is art. I think an artist produces work. I think some of it can be called art. I think some of it can be can be seen as such. But I think the idea that, yes, you make art, you're an artist, but not every work you make is art. It's like that idea of like, all drugs are chemicals, but not all chemicals are drugs. Yeah, that's... That makes that does make a lot of sense. Thanks. And look, realistically, you know, if you're an artist who wants to be purist and like only, you know, create work that you stand by and everything like that, and there are artists who do that, Peter Dinklage springs to mind. He's a serious actor. He never wanted to, you know, do any kind of pandering roles or anything like that, which I'm massively impressed by. But yeah, it's like, I know what it's like to not have money for food. Mm -hmm. I know how hard that can be. And I know that, you know, when it's a case of, and it's not just about that, it's not just about creature comforts. The reason I didn't have money for food was not because I didn't have money. It was because the money was going on violin repairs. And when you're at that stage, yeah, you're gonna play music that, or make art that you don't particularly believe in or whatever, because there's a hierarchy. There's always a hierarchy, unfortunately. And if we existed in a world where UBI was a thing, not to get political, mm -hmm. I think the discussion of what empty art is would be a much more meaningful one. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Um... And just because I do love getting political, this is a very UBI friendly show. <laughs> the 40 hour work week is a broken model that wasn't even intended as a long-term solution back when the labor movement was, you know, given guns and told to go to factory owners' houses. So just point that out. Yeah, <laughs> our world is broken. Let's talk about it. Sorry, we're gonna talk about how we think about it. Yeah. All right. Bam. Sharon. Yay. Do you feel defined by your pain? Good question. 
No. And yes, Wes. Um, no, I don't feel defined by my pain. The reason, the reason I don't is because the pain that I have experienced was from other individuals. And for me to define myself by that pain would be to give them more power than they would ever merit. There's a reason why strong comes to mind when I think of you. I love you. And I love you. And yes, Wes, honestly, UBI will riot with you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um. And Corvid, I love that it's just every other. It feels, I don't know. It's good. Yeah. Um. Let's see, Van Corbett, have you struggled with resisting your pain and your need to heal for the sake of performance? Hmm. Would you mind giving, going into that a bit more? Like resisting yeah. my, yeah. Okay, um, so a lot of, um, a lot of the time, as, as we did discuss, like pain inspires art. But if the pain gets too strong, it's hard to create art. So um, I know that I myself have put myself in situations that I know might be a bad idea for the sake of a good story. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> every every viewer has a different example that just came to mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I have definitely gone into a a situation that in retrospect was probably inadvisable because I thought it might be a cool story. And I still do that. Yeah. I just tried to have a reasonable bug out bag. <laughs> a reasonable what, sorry? Bug out bag. Um, so a bug out bag is a military thing where you would basically have a bag that if you had to bug out, as in like jump out of a helicopter or whatever, it had everything you needed. So passport, money, spare socks, things like that. Um, just kind of always having enough with you that if you got stranded, you would be okay. Okay. Yeah. Got it. In, in general, I think it's always a good plan to have a pair of socks with you at all times. And a towel. Yeah, but I mean, like, a towel's pretty bulky, whereas a pair of socks you can just roll up into wherever you have, so. Yeah, I was just being silly. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, it is very important to have a towel, but I'm mean, just saying like if, if you, uh, you know, sometimes towels can get pretty grody as well. So there's that too. Um, I'm also one of those people who forgets about fruit in their bag. So a towel would just become like a rotten fruit sponge. And I, I don't think I need to inflict that on people. That is a good point. Um, I was just making a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference. I know. And I was going with it as well. Okay. It was the pink one with the green flowers. Anyway. <laughs> That was so loud. I dropped my. I dropped it. I oh gosh. Hold on. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, the oh gosh was because I don't have any lights on, so I can't see. Where oh, right. Yeah, that's fair. Luckily, it went. It was pushed up against the wall, so I so it caught a bit of a, a shine, and it's sturdy, so it's fine. Excellent. All right. Um, so yeah, um, with um, the re resisting pain and the need to heal, um, I guess it's just like, like have you ever um, kind of written out pain to write instead of letting yourself heal? 
Oh gosh, that's a good question. Hmm. I'd say yes, because for a very long time I resisted, I didn't have resources to heal. Mm-hmm. So yes. Um, and I think I also want to point out that healing is an incredibly costly process. Um, not just financially, it's it's costly on your, your energy, your time and everything. And sometimes when it's a case of, I want to create art, I feel like I need to, I have in the past definitely sublimated my own well-being to do so. Yes. In fact, I did that last year with 12-12-12, where I did a show a month for six months and then hit a wall. I was involved in three of them. I had such a good time, and the two that I didn't go to were probably great, too. Aw, thank you. I mean... Yeah, one of them was like, I think the last one uh, was definitely probably my rawest one where I, you know, talked about the burning times, coincidentally, uh, talked about, um, you know, individuals who were ostracized and targeted and and murdered by communities, which was horrific. And there still has been very little in the way of, of community healing, I think, in that way. Because I often saw, because I was reading these transcripts, because it was my master, it was my thesis. Uh, a lot of the time, there was a case of almost like destabilizing elders, particularly female elders, in these communities, and and I think that that was a really awful way to institute control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, sorry, I missed that one. <laughs> it's okay. I was I was not in a great place, so you know. Yeah, either was I, which is why I missed. It. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't remember the details, but I remember it being a last second thing, so it must have been yeah. the brand new. <laughs> yeah. No, it's 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 all good. Plus, we were at yeah. so many. Anyway, biggest fan, your your caravan. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. The van, the, the Rodney. Yeah, my, my car, Rodney, has an official Van Forbid sticker because, well, I, I mean, I'm the tour bus. Yeah, we had a plan to go to New York and perform, and then that uh, that a bit fell apart. And I don't, I don't really think we should go to New York anytime soon. No, right um, maybe in like. Um, Let's go to maybe like let's go to Ireland. <laughs> I mean, right now Ireland's beginning to get a bit. Um... Not right now. The world's yeah. still over. We have to wait. The world ended, so we can't travel. We have to wait for the world to like rebuild for a bit. True. <laughs> True. All right. Just uh, sassy when this gets in. Yes. Um. All right, so there's also another podcast going on in the next room, so I may be talking a little bit quieter, but yeah, um, so so Michael and myself are both doing kind of the podcast circuit um, a little bit, um, He, him more than me, but you know, this, this was a happy coincidence. Yeah, well, I am totally happy to have you always, forever, and ever, in the most biased way possible. Excellent. <laughs>
no, no, no. I need the bias. I need all the bias. All the bias. Yes. All right. Um, shall we? Mm-hmm. And Corvid. Can you separate art from the artist? Oh, that's a, that's a spicy question, isn't it? Um, I think when the artist, okay. So this one is a, a very nuanced question. Um, I think that there is a very, okay. So with art and artists, I think one thing that's really important is whether the artist is still alive and if they are benefiting. So particularly whenever this question comes up, it's usually in relation to harm and harm that an artist may have done or perpetrated either they themselves or via their work. Uh -huh. If I think an artist's work is harmful, whether or not they're alive or dead, I don't want to participate in it. If an artist created work that at the time was not objectionable, but in retrospect is not so great, um, I'm, I'm on the fence about it. Like, uh -huh. for example, um, music of Michael Jackson, I'm now very uncomfortable listening to, and I probably wouldn't share it. That being said, Tchaikovsky also had inappropriate relations with younger males, and there's a lot of icky stuff there. Wow. The music industry is so riddled with it. It's just, who can you like? Like, it's just, um, every, every rock star, mm -hmm. everyone writes songs about having sex with underage girls, and yep. it's, the culture of the time. And it's like, at what point is someone a victim of their culture? And at what point are they fucking underage girls? I mean, like you look, like I even think of people like David Bowie, you know, and it's like, it's a hard one because I think in so many ways he's, he's been such an influence and, you know, an amazing artist and so on. But like, at the same time, I'm not going to ignore that. So I think, what is important is recognizing the problematic aspects of an artist, if there are any. Um, if they are related to your work, I think flagging that is important. Uh -huh. And I think trying to make sure that whatever you're doing is not contributing more to the issue around it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, David Bowie is such a personal example for me. Yep. So um, sidebar story. I found out about the problematic things with um, concerning David two weeks after I got this. Ooh. I was so just like, because like, I was just like, I'm not like, I just, I obviously, I don't agree with that. It's a bad thing to do. And it was, oh gosh, it's actually, I'm, I'm not going to go on this too long because honestly, I think this should be its own topic. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh, I just had an idea and um, I will, I'm going to share it share with you after. But anyway, um, I, I think with, with I mean, oh, you go, you yeah, go. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Um, so with, with David Bowie, I think that his impact and everything that he has done is, and his true artistry is undeniable. And I also am aware that he did some unruly things that are also not, like, are also undeniable. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and, I, and, I, and I think there's more of that about him. And that 
is, and I don't feel like it defines his art, but it changes its story for me. So it changed my connection to David Bowie, but it didn't, it didn't completely sever it because I'm still able to have the, the separate connections to the cultural impact that he had over yes. it. And so I guess, oh gosh, that is separating the art from the artist, which is something that I didn't think I like, I, but I also like, I don't think like, like, and also like he's, deceased and hasn't received like and lost access to his like music years ago <laughs> and oh gosh it is such a big topic you say what, what i do find what i do think is important is if an artist is incorporating the problematic aspects of their life into their work i think that that is something that's important to note and it probably is inseparable at that point yeah i think if, and I also think that like all artists are human and and I think that there's a degree to which everyone has at least one thing in their life that they're not proud of, that they've done. And if an artist continued to do the harm that they were known for, I think that's a really big problem and I don't want to be affiliated with them in any way, I don't support them. But I think if someone Maybe, I, I do think that there's, and, I, and in the music industry, there's a big discussion about this at the moment, is like, when can you give people a second chance? Yeah. Because and, I, and I'm, and I'm not being an apologist for any kind of abuse, I'm really not. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that in some cases, it's, it's, not, a, it's not as black and white as, as it might be. Yeah, and I think that's, um... The best place to have the is the best place to have, oh i want to pull wes's comment up um yes absolutely all right and yeah. i think it's healthy to continue to be open to criticism of any artist you appreciate in general living or dead because yeah they are all human exactly and i um i agree completely and i think that um oh gosh um Okay, I'm, <laughs> I will talk about this for 10 hours. I'm going to put a pin in this for a future project because who I am. I honestly, I went for like, I'm not sorry. I was talking, I literally had this conversation earlier today, so I thought it was out of my system and it's not. That's how much I have to say about this topic. <laughs> I don't think it ever is, really. Um, I as, as artists who have been impacted by problematic things, like it's just as, as a sexual abuse victim, I don't want to support sexual abusers. No, but I also know that in, it's very likely that in the future there will be stuff that I may have said or done that could be, that probably will be much more problematic in retrospect. And there's already things that I know, ways I've behaved and ways I've treated people that I'm not proud of. And I certainly wouldn't want to repeat that, yeah. but I know that that's in my past. Yeah, I from such a problematic past. <laughs> and, and like at a, a certain point, you just, I think if someone is making a sincere effort to learn and try to grow from their mistakes, like I just look at Dolly Parton. She's she's just like, yeah, that that's not okay. I'm going to change it. Yeah, I love her so much. Uh, moment of smiles for Dolly. <laughs> Moving on to the serious stuff. Okay. <laughs> 
Oh, I didn't drop it. I totally thought I was going to miss that time. But anyway. Forward. Um <laughs> this is um, when we have um I'm gonna anyway. Um do you feel you need the pain to create? Which is we Hmm. No. No, I don't, because pain will occur. There's no way to live without pain. Okay. Bank or red. Do you feel it would be painful to not create? Hmm. I don't think it's possible to not create. So I don't think it would be, I mean, the only way that you could not create would be if you were completely incapacitated and deprived of all sense, mm -hmm. and all sense like sensory deprivation, basically. Um, I think people create every day. It doesn't have to be, uh, music or anything like it's it's the way you dress it's the way you eat it's when you are looking to make things more interesting in your life you are creating yeah. that's unavoidable yeah even with speech patterns and how how you present yourself that's all a created image mm -hmm. and we are all creators yeah Sharon. Hey. Oh. Um, what are some grounding techniques that help you feel safe? Oh gosh. We talked about the scales. Scales are good. Um, usually they're really basic, really, really basic, which is just like now if I'm ever feeling anxious, the first thing I do is ask when I last drank water. Mm -hmm. Um the other thing is I usually try to get outside. Um, and the other one is I stretch. I stretch yeah. a lot. Um, so I have a stretching app on my phone and every time I feel stressed out, I just do a thing. And usually because I know I hold stress in certain parts of my body, I can just pick the thing that will target that. And then that usually grounds me by the time I come out of it, I'm like, okay, all right. But then like, you know, it's, it's really context dependent. You know, in some cases it might just be like, I need a snack. Because mm -hmm. I know for me at least a lot of my mental health dips used to come about because I don't really feel hunger. Yeah, I, it's something I, I struggle with a lot as well. Um, and I, because like I, as, as everyone pretty much knows, I, I smoke the weed and I use that a lot um, to help my, and help remind myself to eat. And there are so many times, like like um, I've recently switched to doing oils because smoking is not the healthiest thing, and mm. I'm not hungry ever. Huh? Yeah. Like I just like I just eat when people around me eat, and then every now and then I'm just starving. Yep, I'm the same way. So I've just started becoming conscious of just like okay, I will eat a like I think of it instead of like because I usually just like eat when my body asks me to because that's the dieting tip that I learned in health class. 
And that's not completely incorrect. It's just that if your body doesn't tell you to because of an unrelated issue, you should probably make a schedule. Yeah. And that's all I did now is I just started doing that. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, and do you have any other um, grounding techniques or things that you want to focus on? So there is one. Um, it's kind of unusual, but um, my mentor brought me to a place in Ireland called Glendalough. And in that time, we looked at different elements in nature that could ground us. Without going into major detail, mine ended up being stone. And every time I need to get back to that place of peace, I call up that memory in my mind. Yeah. And that helps. But one thing I find actually, this was something I used to do when I was a little kid because I used to get nightmares a lot, like a lot, a lot. Mm -hmm. And I learned a technique for dealing with the, because it used to happen that I'd fall back asleep and then I'd have the nightmare again, but I didn't want to keep running into my parents. So I developed a technique to get past the nightmares, which is, and it's hard, but when you wake up from the nightmare, you hold the worst, scariest images from it in your head for a slow count to 10. And it is not allowed to skitter into the little corners of your mind and remain there to come back. You are facing it. That scares me. The idea of doing that scares me. <laughs> it's not fun, but the thing is that after about five or six seconds, you're just like, I'm just holding this here. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I um I really like it and I don't know if I'm if I oh gosh. I get so scared by my nightmares, I don't think I'd be able to do that. <laughs> I believe in you. And you know what? Um I'll try. It's better than falling back into that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no harm in trying. Always try anything twice. Yeah. Um, you know. Time when you're a little. <laughs> All right. Sharon. Hello. Hello. This is actually our final question. Oh, wow. So I think maybe both Vancouver and Sharon can answer it. Okay. Okay, so I'm, um, do you want to obey the coin or decide the order based on the question? Hmm. Let's hear the question. Okay. Oh, Wes, that's super cool. I'm just yeah. watching the comments, but yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like, it's it's processing those in a way that, you know, you can then deal with and manage going forward. That's exactly it. Yeah, for me, I found I found journaling or just talking about my nightmares helps. Mm -hmm. So I think it is just like a processing issue or like different processing techniques. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> like with everything, I talk my way through it. <laughs> it's a good way to go. All right, so. Are you still Van Corvid after you are healthy? After I'm healthy? 
Yeah. If are you still vancouver if you're healthy? Oh wow. More so. I'm more so when I'm healthy because the whole point of Vancouver and and you've hit on it a few times is is about strength, but that strength is is a dedication, and it's it's because Morrigan is very utilitarian in that sense. She will not have broken warriors, and so in order to devote yourself and devote your work to someone like that. You need to make sure that you are in as good a condition as you can possibly be, and you continually strive to be better. So I see myself more as like a, I see it more as like a athletics or or martial training, even though it's music and arts. But to me, it's it's something that takes that level of dedication and care. And I think that anytime I hear people kind of go ooh the muse or whatever, I'm like. Mm-hmm. Okay, you do you. Yeah, I do find that like the idea of of like the of of defining art and pain is a very toxic mindset that leads to a very like unhealthy community in some art venues and areas because every, it's like almost everyone's trying to like one up their pain to show that they are the truest artist, and it's just like. Sometimes I'll meet people and I just want to refer them to therapy. And, and, and it's just like, I'm so happy that they have a way to express their pain. And I don't want to downplay the importance of that. Having a way to express your pain is great. But there is a line where you should be careful. And like, I also think about uh, Aronofsky movies. Like he did Black Swan, he did The Wrestler and all these. And he has this whole image of you know, the damaged artist who can only create art once they basically sacrifice themselves. And I remember speaking to my mentor about this and how like I wanted to just give my all for the for a piece of art. And and his response was, but you're gonna make more than one thing. And art isn't isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And a good artist is able is is able to make art that means they can make more art the next day. That's perfect. I'm, yeah, I, I don't have anything to say. <laughs> I have nothing to add to that. That was just a great statement. I'm glad. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Thank you for asking. I mean, it's, it's, it's not really an easy thing to work into daily conversation, I found, mm-hmm. you know. It's like, hey, hey, do you want to have a talk about what we think art is and, and, and how art and pain and mental health kind of interact and, you know, all that fun stuff? Yeah, like I had I had a relationship with someone who thought that if they got better, they wouldn't be able to create anymore. And it actually, like, it caused a lot of problems because they refused to get better. And I, I definitely, I've, I've had that fear myself. And I've also had that leveled at me where I've had people ask, you know, do you, do you stay in this headspace so that you can make art? And I'm like, no, I make this art so I can get out of it. And it's the same as like Robert Smith is like that too. He's like, I write when I'm sad, you know? Um, But like, I don't, and I think of Van Gogh where he made his best work from a hospital bed where he was recovering. 
Like you cannot, I, I, I think it would be so damaging for a young artist to have the belief that they need to torture themselves to make art. Yeah. Life is hard enough, trust me. Yeah. As, as, as you said, pain comes. Pain will happen, don't worry, really. And the fun thing is that the more you try, the more you're gonna get smacked around. Yeah. You don't have to manifest pain. And it's way better to get better. <laughs> it's hard. Oh, heck, is it hard? <laughs> oh, it's not fun. But healing is, is often worse than being in pain because being in pain is often kind of comfortable. You know what it's like. Yeah. It's easy. It's it just flows. It's there. But, um, yeah. I, I, I do, I, you know, I, I kind of feel like the artists who go on and on about the pain that they're in and, you know, their life is so tragic and stuff. I feel like it's the emo equivalent of a live, laugh, love poster. No, um, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Oh yeah, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> What's the road to heaven paved with? Mm -hmm. um, I guess it depends who you ask. Very true. Okay, uh, so I don't know about you, but I think, I, I don't know if you have any other questions for me. That was actually my final question. So I think it's time that we call it a show. Um, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming in. I have loved every moment of this and I love every moment of you. <laughs> thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you Wes for your contributions. Um, I, I laugh when I say that, but I do mean it genuinely. Um, yeah. Oh, th thank you for our viewers for tuning in and thank you to our future viewers for paying attention to us after we do this and for sticking through the rambliness at the beginning when I was still getting my head together. <laughs> it's worth it though, wasn't it? Isn't Vancouver amazing? Thank you. Also, go play Penrose. Go play Penrose. Yes, get Penrose, um, subscribe to Ray Lockdust on everywhere that I am, and subscribe to Vancouver on everywhere that they are because we are up to a bunch of stuff and you should keep up with it because, well, I'm going to say it here, I am an official, um, I, am, I am the ambassador to both of us and I say that we're both right, so it's official, we're, no one's allowed to say otherwise now. Oh, they can, we're just going to ignore them. Thank you, Wes. Good show, yes. All right, we're gonna put Wes up and then I'm gonna hit end broadcast and we're gonna tell everyone to have a good night. Yep. And